Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Hello, my lovely podcast listeners. I realized it's been about 10 episodes since I did a solo episode. And I'm on the road, and there's lots of time for thinking, and I've been jotting down some topics I wanted to cover in the next solo episode, and I think I've got enough things to warrant an episode. So today's episode is just me. I'm going to talk about a few things. I'm going to play some music. It's not going to be super thematic to what I'm talking about because I've realized that's semi-challenging. (laughs) like okay I want to talk about abortion what song can I play that has something to do with abortion it's a little weird um but anyway I'm going to talk about a bunch of stuff play some music and uh hope you guys enjoy it so the first thing I wanted to talk about is Mother's Day which happened as we all know uh I guess it's I don't even know. I'm on the road. I don't know what fucking day it is, but I think it was about a week ago, a little less than a week ago. And I've been pretty open and vulnerable and transparent about some of the challenges that I faced with my mother. I've done a couple of uh, podcasts focusing on the mother wound. So you'd think that I would uh, anticipate the challenges that come with Mother's Day, but I seem to always forget and am caught off guard by how challenging it is. Um, And I I sort of like that. I like the fact, not necessarily that I was caught off guard, or yeah, I guess I like the fact that I'm caught off guard because I think it, it makes me kind of check myself in regard to how much of this I have dealt with and processed. Um, I think a lot of the time I like to think that I think we all like to think, all right, dealt with all my problems, integrated all these things, and I'm good, and I have this kind of invisible armor that's going to protect me from any sort of triggers. Um, But that's not always the case. (laughs) And so this Mother's Day, it definitely affected me. Um, I, I know I've talked a bit about my relationship with my mom. We kind of had to take a break from talking and um, being in contact as much as we were prior, which was quite a bit. We have since um, resumed some communication. So we do text back and forth. She's listened to um, a good selection of some of my podcast episodes. Um, 
about, I don't know, back in January, we reconnected and I sort of updated her on where my life was and what's been going on the past couple of years. So <clears throat> we are in touch. Um, I did wish her a happy Mother's Day, which probably wasn't something that I would have done a year ago. I don't think I did it a year ago. It was too uncomfortable and painful for me, but we were in touch briefly. Um, anyway, and then I went on social media and, of course, saw like the hordes of posts <laughs> that, uh, that occur during this holiday, and I just kind of felt like shit. Um, and it's it's so interesting. I think I spoke a bit about um, Valentine's Day in this sense, just like what occurs in the public sphere, especially on social media around these holidays, like the public displays of affection and I'm not even sure what to call them. It's not always public displays of affection per se, but like this performative way that these holidays have now taken shape since social media has existed is just very, very strange to me. I don't think, I know I participate in social media, um, but there's aspects of it that are so performative that it's gross. <laughs> it makes me semi-nauseated, even if I don't have a total issue with even the holiday or the thing that people are posting about, just like simply the act of displaying oneself in that manner rubs me the wrong way. And I think that has to do with the fact that it seems disingenuine, right? Like how many times do you see the person that posts these over-the-top romantic posts about their partner, like, break up with them in a week. Or, you know, this even exists outside of social media. Like, the guy that screams anti-homosexuality is, like, normally the dude that's, like, sucking dick in the bathroom stall, right? We overcompensate, <clears throat> we project, in order to deny a truth. And I think this exists on a spectrum, but regardless... It's what I sort of intuit when these holidays take place. Um, but what I sort of felt this year was this idea about what we choose to celebrate. So we have Mother's Day, we have Father's Day. And I wonder if, you know, we don't have Aunt's Day. We don't have Daughter's Day. We don't have Son's Day. <laughs> We don't have any of those things, right? Like, we're selective in what we're choosing. And not only that, but, like, Mother's Day and Father's Day is, like, gendered, so that's a whole other thing. But these things are so institutionalized. Um, and in this day and age, when, like, our planet's dying and we have such a population problem, it seems detrimental to me that we celebrate motherhood in this way for multiple reasons. And this isn't to say that being a mother is a fucking noble, beautiful, important thing. Cause it is. And I think there are, I truly believe that there are some people in this world where like, that is what they are meant to do, at least in part is be a mother. And that's a supremely important job. So I'm not at all critiquing the act of, mothering, I'm just critiquing the way in which we look at it publicly. I know for me, up until very recently, there was sort of this just expectation that I would become a mom. 
And I love kids. I talked about this on the last solo, solo episode. Someone had asked if I wanted to be a mother and I sort of went into this whole thing about how I would love to mother, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean I want children. I love children. I love being around children. I'm happy to mother other people's children. I'm happy to just be a mother in the world, whatever that means, be nurturing and caring and empathetic. I don't know if that necessarily means I uh, need children of my own. Um, But I always, it was just sort of like, oh, well, of course that's what's going to happen. I like kids. I'm a woman. I have, I think, a functioning body. (laughs) And so I'll have kids. Um... It was just the norm. And I think many women have this experience. It's like, oh, okay, you get to a certain age, you get married, you have kids. That's the thing. That's the thing you do. It's like what is seen as the epitome of being a woman is having kids. Um, And I wasn't extremely fundamentalist about it, you know, or preachy about it. I certainly was very supportive of women who didn't want to have kids, but personally, I just thought I was going to have them. And it's interesting in the past few years, and I, because I've reevaluated whether I want them or not, I've taken a pretty hard look at my relationship with my own mother. I've become increasingly aware of how difficult and hard it is to become a mother, how the ways in which we parent in, you know, the spectrum between healthy and unhealthy is so fucking subtle. Like this is a real, to do this properly, you know, just to be a parent is one thing to be a good parent. That's a, that takes effort. It takes self-reflection and it takes an immense amount of maturity and patience and all of these things. And, and to, going against a lot of, like, cultural norms as it relates to parenting. Um, So, I just, I think, I don't like these holidays where we, whether it's Valentine's Day or Mother's Day or Father's Day, it's like we're picking certain things to celebrate. What about, like, a holiday to celebrate the people that don't have kids? I mean, I know that seems crazy, but why not? Like, why aren't we choosing these things? And if you're someone that does agree with me, I think it's important just to, like, reflect on how our behaviors and our actions and our everyday life are either supporting or tearing down these types of norms and institutions. It might seem like a harmless thing to post something on Mother's Day. But what if it's not like what is what difference are we making? You know, or or the difference that we're making, is it not just compiled of all the little things that we do in our life on a daily basis? I talk about this with Thanksgiving, too, you know. Is going and celebrating Thanksgiving going to make a difference versus not as it relates to educating people about inequality and the tragedy of colonialism does it make a difference (laughs) i don't know i think it's i think it's um i think it depends i think it depends where the intention comes from i think it depends like are there people at the table who you're not speaking up about or you're not speaking up to in regard to the real meaning of these holidays you know 
maybe it's okay for me to post something about Mother's Day as long as I get on my podcast and talk about it. I don't know. I don't know where the <clears throat> the place is that is the most impactful. So my point here, actually, in this whole podcast is not to be like, I have the answer. It's just to get everyone to think about things and just to share what I'm thinking about. But I do think it's problematic, the normalization of parenthood, especially in this day and age. One of my friends said, like, we should just call this Mother Wound Day, <laughs> which would probably be a lot more meaningful um, as it relates to coming to terms with, you know, reality. These fucking Hallmark holidays are not reality. They're just not. So, to anyone who struggled during Mother's Day, I feel ya. I feel you. I definitely did too. Um, and, uh, I think it's a good thing when we are not just doing what everyone's doing when we're not just feeling what everyone's feeling but we are actively reflecting on what it makes us feel and what that means and how we can grow and help other people so that's mother's day <clears throat> and before i get into the next topic i'm gonna play you a song i'm gonna play trampoline by joe henry because it's fucking beautiful. And I want to share it with you. Every one of them is sick 
Next topic, jealousy. <laughs> All right, hopefully I will make some sense talking about this. But <clears throat> several I've been talking to several friends about jealousy recently, and I find it fascinating. Um, I started to realize, <clears throat> someone asked me, do you feel jealous? Now, this is coming from the perspective of participating in the world of, I'm talking about jealousy, I guess, specifically as it relates to relationships. So like relational, sexual, like being jealous of a partner. Um, so that's where this was coming from. And as someone who, you know, talks pretty openly about existing within the realm of non-monogamy, this is particularly pertinent. Um, and I think <clears throat> one of the main reasons that people don't want to go down that road is fear of jealousy. And I've been thinking about this for a long time, um, long before I ever participated in any sort of open relationship. I always had wanted to, it always made logical sense to me. It never, I didn't understand. I didn't believe that anyone could really just have sex with one person their whole life. And this was definitely a projection. I think I didn't feel like I could have sex with one person my whole life. 
That didn't mean I didn't think I could be in a relationship with someone my whole life. That I actually believed. And my problem was always that I felt like I had to pick. It was either like, I'm going to be sexually promiscuous and fulfill that authentic desire, or I'm going to choose to be in a monogamous relationship. I thought it was either or. I've since realized that's not the case, but that's, as a young person, that's what I kind of felt. Um, and it's interesting because this kind of came up in the episode that I recorded with my dad about his number one priority was finding someone who he could be like supremely emotionally intimate with. And in his early twenties as a gay man, he didn't think he couldn't find other men that wanted to do that with him. It was like being gay meant great sex, but not any sort of meaningful intimacy and being straight meant meaningful intimacy and maybe the sex wasn't as fulfilling. So he too had to choose and I totally chose and I being my father's daughter, I'm sure, but I think just also being like a normal person and we need intimate connection. I chose intimate connection thinking that I had to sacrifice the other stuff. But I always, it was interesting because I would be in relationships with men and I'd almost like encourage promiscuity. Maybe I wasn't saying like, you should go have sex with that other person, but I was always pointing out hot women. Um, and I was talking, depending on the relationship, relatively openly about how non-monogamy made more sense to me, you know, and this was always a projection. It was always like, I understand that my primary relationship probably wouldn't be affected by me being more explorative as it relates to sex with other people. So if I feel that way, I have to give my partner, you know, I have to, I have to assume that my partner can exist in the same way. I have to give my partner the benefit of the doubt that he too could explore sex or sexual things with other people and have it not threaten or um, destroy our relationship. So it was just my own feeling that I could do it that made me believe that someone else could. And even though I, there were at times in one of my first relationships where we kind of experimented with it, um, but it was all pretty, uh, it was just an assumption. I hadn't really done it, so it was just a little presumptuous for me to like assume that open relationships would work for me, but I kind of had a feeling they would. Um, and <clears throat> I honestly can't recall in previous relationships being feeling super jealous aside from one instance when I was cheated on. Um, and even then, like now thinking about it, like going back to my original point, this anyway, two people recently, two friends asked me, like, do you feel jealous? Have you felt jealous? And I started to think about the fact that, like, do I even know what jealousy is? Like, what the fuck is jealousy? Is jealousy envy? Is jealousy fear? Is jealousy feeling threatened? Like, I certainly feel I certainly can understand feeling threatened. I understand feeling fear. But what is jealousy? Is jealousy more than just threat in the space of relationships? So I started to think about times when I felt jealous or thought I felt jealous. And what I realized was every time that I have, once again, 
it was like jealousy existed. Well, first of all, it was a projection of my own inner experience. And it always occurred in spaces where there was just a lack of alignment. Um, <clears throat> trying to find an example here. So like my partner is off on a trip doing fun shit, whether or not that has, that in, includes sex or not doing things that I think are really cool. One of which is sex. Cause I think sex is really cool and I'm interested in sex just like intellectually as well. Not only just experientially. Um, and in those situations where like, I'm not living the, or at least in that moment, I don't feel like I'm living the fullest life that I could be living. I'm not holding myself in as high of value as I should be. Right. So like I'm home, not hanging out with people, not doing anything that lights me up emotionally, intellectually, and my partner's off doing all this cool stuff, and I wish I was doing it too. That's when I feel jealousy. But that isn't about them. They're not doing something that's making me feel jealous. It's all about me and how I'm interpreting the situation I'm in. Both how I'm interpreting it and how I'm experiencing it. So, like, it's fine to sit home while your partner goes off and does something. But for me, it's like, if I feel jealousy, it's because I'm not valuing myself as much as I should be. I think, and, or there are situations in which our partners are doing fucked up shit. Like let's say betraying us or cheating on us. And we feel jealousy because there's a lack of an, a lack of alignment. Like anytime I feel a negative feeling, emotion anytime I get that like intuitive bodily ugh, in my body like I feel emotion very physically I've come to realize <laughs> um anytime you you feel that feeling like it's not a thing to ignore ever because you just swallow that and it turns into depression and anxiety and health issues so I always take that thing. I'm like, wow, okay, here's a negative feeling. Where is that coming from? And also I think what a lot of people do, especially in circles I run in is to be like, oh, let's look at the stars. Like I feel like shit because the moon's in this place. Fuck that. That's just another way of avoiding something. Spiritual, spiritual bypassing at its worst. <laughs> so I feel the feeling recognize that it's negative and I do everything I possibly can to identify where that's coming from. I did the same thing this mother's day. It was like, great. I feel like shit. Why do I feel like shit? Oh, because I feel invisible as a daughter who had to survive a challenging mother. I feel like a negation and that's really powerful. Instead of just being like, I feel like shit, fuck everything, fuck Mother's Day. Like, I sat with it and tried to figure out where it was coming from. And I think that's how I sort of deal with this jealousy thing, too. Because a lot of the time it's not actually jealousy, which is why I think I have a hard time understanding what jealousy is. Jealousy is like 
the saying I'm jealous to me is like the same thing as saying, oh, well, like the moon was in Scorpio. So I felt like shit. It's such a fucking cop out. Jealousy is made up of substance that can vary tremendously uh, depending on the situation. So yeah, sometimes it's like your partner is untrustworthy. So you feel jealous or threatened. You're not making that up. Or your partner is not doing anything wrong <laughs> and you are insecure. Or a combination of those two things, right? Like, I feel insecure and untrusting. That's my, like, toxic patterning. And so I'm going to seek out untrustworthy partners who reinforce that. So both things are happening. I've definitely experienced that before. And I think really struggled with, like, wait a second, this isn't just me. Like, they're also fucking up. Like, how do I accept that both things are occurring here? That I feel uncomfortable because of my own shit, but also... I'm not making up the fact that this person's treating me like garbage. They are. It's both. They're treating me like garbage, but I'm choosing to be with someone that treats me like garbage. Um, but yeah, jealousy. Fuck. I think jealousy is a clue. This is why I hate the concept of being triggered. Because it's like, if you're triggered by something, to me, it's an invitation to explore the thing that's triggering you. Like, if I'm triggered by Mother's Day, I don't think the solution is to be like, well, that's a trigger for me, and just walk away. I'm just not going to go into those spaces because it's triggering. What? I get it. Trauma's fucking hard and painful. Every day, <laughs> I, multiple times a day recognize like harmful thoughts in my head and shitty stories that I tell myself and I have to sit there with them identify them and rewrite them it's exhausting and upsetting to recognize the extent to which my brain was trained in this really unhealthy way But that's what we need to be doing if we want to not pass this shit on to future generations or to our partners or to our friends. Like, that, if nothing else, is our job, you know? Fix yourself to fix the world, people. So anyway, I think that's all I have to say about jealousy, is that I think the term itself is a cop-out, and I think we would all be better served if we recognized what the stuff is that is constructing that feeling. Like, how many people in the world might do better by opting into a non-monogamous relationship, but don't do it because they experience, like, high levels of jealousy? Well, what if that's just because you need to improve your own self-worth? Do you run away from the non-monogamous relationship and just enter into a monogamous relationship with a shitty sense of self-worth? Is that the solution? I don't think so. And I'm not saying non-monogamy or whatever, any of these things, are the right option for everyone. All I'm saying is, like, do the work. 
to figure out where the fear is coming from. Because it could just be that the universe is trying to push you into examining yourself further. So that's all I have to say about that. Next song. What should I play? What should I play? All right. I'm going to play a song called Lemonade by Wheatus, <laughs> which is a great song. It's all about cheating. Um, might not be everyone's style of music, but it's adorable. And uh, it's a jam for sure. Listen to the lyrics. I used to be pretty into this song back when I was like 19 or 20, driving around in a van in my band with a bunch of dudes. Um, this is thematic to the topic of jealousy, for sure. So, Lemonade by Wheatus. Enjoy. Just tell me his name Just tell me you didn't get laid in our bedroom 
welcome back to the incessant talking part of the show. <laughs> Next topic, I I want to talk about cultural appropriation. So I'm the kind of person where, like, I have to or at least want to understand things. I want to know where I fall on certain issues. And cultural appropriation is one itch issue in which I'm consistently confused. Like, one day I get it, another day I don't. There are lots of things in this world that are like that. Um, but I feel like a sense of un being unsettled about it. I don't feel like this is how I feel about it, and uh, that's all. And when there are things like that in my life, of course, because this is just the way that I am, like, I don't walk away from them or just pick a position for the sake of picking a position. I really want to figure out, I want to dig deeper. I want to learn more because I want to be able to say how I feel about a thing <laughs> without just guessing or um, doing so without sufficient um like evidence and support for my point. So cultural appropriation is one of these things. <clears throat> and I guess more so like the anger and vitriol that surrounds instances of cultural appropriation. So I was talking to a group of people the other day about this. I sort of like broached the topic, like, can you all help me figure this out? And I'm very clear on the fact that most people's reasoning for why it's inappropriate is not necessarily the act itself, but like a white person can have, uh, you know, cornrows or some sort or wear, you know, traditional, traditional Native American um, clothing. Uh, and yet, while we're able to sort of like enjoy these things from other cultures, we are simultaneously participating in like the systemic prejudice and inequality that um, benefits no one but ourselves. So it's like, I'm going to go around, you know, enjoying aspects of your culture while not fighting for your rights. So I, I, I understand that. I guess my question is, are we really barking up the right tree there? Because I'm on social media <laughs> and people get really angry about this. And I feel feelings of anger about it too. But there's something so easy about targeting people that culturally appropriate. Like, it's so easy to call them out. It's so easy to say why it's inappropriate. And I really wonder if it's making any bit of difference. Because what I kind of discovered for myself in talking to other people about it and exploring this recently was when you step back from it, what's the real issue here? The real issue is that we still have tremendously prejudiced systems in our world. Racism is real. Super real. <laughs> You know, systemic oppression is really real. There's really terrible shit that's going on. This entire country was based upon, like, mass genocide. It's... And colonization. It's not good. <laughs> so that's, that's the issue, right? Like, that's what we're really talking about here. Is 
shit is unfair and continues to be, and the systems that we've opted into are proliferating those things over and over and over and over again. That's the problem. Whether or not someone wears traditional Native American clothing, you know, my when I was when I was a kid, um, my high school, our team was the Nyack Indians, and the logo was a Native American wearing like traditional Native American dress. And this was a big scandal. And eventually I think what happened was they just changed the mascot, but they kept the name Indians. I don't really think that any of that is making any bit of difference. I mean, is it like someone correct me? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's something I don't see. But this whole, you know, just anger around and focus on, like, you got to change the mascot. You got to make the logo a different thing. I mean, the fact of the matter is, like, the reason we were the Indians is because there's, like, there was deep-seated, you know, history, Native American history on where I, on the land that I lived. And absolutely, the white people coming in and taking the land away from them and then making them a mascot. Like, I get it. It's inappropriate. It's gross. Does changing those things, or at least the way in which we um, frame them for ourselves, like, is it is it making a difference? Maybe it does in some cases, maybe it doesn't in others. I just think it's like focusing on the symptom of a, of a, of a disease. <clears throat> and sure, you, you know, let's say you have... Um, digestive, you have microbiome issues and you have constipation. <laughs> it's like, I get it. I guess you need to like drink your Senna tea to, to go take a shit. But if you just constantly drink that tea and you don't address like why you have constipation in the first place, I don't know how practical that is. So I get it. I, I guess it's important to focus on the the symptoms of larger problems, but I, I just think we do too much of that because it's easier to swallow. It's easier to attack someone for cultural appropriation than it is to actually do something to address the systemic inequality that we have. I don't think calling someone out on social media for wearing some fucking type of earring is really going to do much of anything. Because normally that person knows what they're doing. That person knows they're wearing traditional Native American or whatever, you know, whatever they're doing. I, I'm pretty often you see these people say, I know what I'm doing. I'm celebrating the culture. And then everyone says, but no, that's not the case. You can't do that as a white person. It's like the same dialogue every time. And I don't think it's helping. <laughs> I think we need to spend our energy doing more impactful shit it's it, it's even ties into the whole thing i was talking about jealousy like is this really about jealousy or is this about something bigger and if it's about something bigger like let's step up and deal with the bigger thing and i get it it's nuanced everything is but let's pick our fucking battles <laughs> Because there are big-ass battles to fight, and there is simply no time to waste.
right? I think so. All right, next song. This is a Carsey Blanton tune. If you didn't hear the episode that I did with her, I don't know what number it was, but it was one of my favorites. Um, Carsey and I are quite similar, especially as it relates to our opinion about everything <laughs> from politics to sexuality and relationships. Um, I remember on the episode I recorded with her, like having a hard time picking what songs to play. Um, and this was one that was left out. It's called Vim and Vigor. It's one of my favorites. So I'm going to play it for you now. I know I got a dirty mind It's in the gutter all the time I don't believe it is a crime I consider it a service It's a 1954 It ain't a man's world anymore So what you wanna take me for?
All right. Last topic of the day. You guessed it. Abortion. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, I guess when this first came out, there is a news headline that I got sent to me. My email, the New York Times, that said how um, Alabama was doing this bullshit and how doctors that perform abortions could be sentenced up to 99 years in prison. Um, you know, the thing, I feel very singularly focused when it comes to this, because for me, this has everything to do with female sexuality. I think the pro-life argument is bullshit. I, it doesn't hold up in any way. It doesn't hold up scientifically or rationally or logically. I think even if we were to go so far as to agree, which we don't, but let's say we did agree that a zygote was a human that is in need of protection. If we believe that, but aren't, aren't uh, taking that same um, approach to actual like living children whose lives also need protecting who are put up for adoption or in foster care or living on the street. Like if our same diligence toward protecting life doesn't um, occur across all types of life, then uh, the argument breaks down. So I think pro-life is just a really clever marketing ploy. You know, we're, we can take one little line from the Bible that talks about how God should be the only thing, person, whatever God is, that decides who lives and dies and when. And we take something from the Bible, which is, you know, normally something that can't be argued with because it's in the Bible. And we take that and we use it in a strategic way to um, be the face of a movement that actually has nothing to do with pro-life. Because I just don't think it does. I think it has to do with women's sexuality. And the fact that powerful female sexuality, if it, if it weren't for um, preventing power expressions of powerful, authentic female sexuality, then we wouldn't have a lot... We wouldn't be able to proliferate a lot of the bullshit that we proliferate, right? Like, preventing that allows us to... Here, I will just read you what I wrote on Instagram stories today so that I don't butcher my own words. Um, but in my opinion, uh, regardless of intent, right? So actually, back up. When I posted this thing about how I think it has to do with sexuality, I got a message from someone that said, the pro-life argument isn't bullshit. You should look up this thing called new wave feminists. Uh, and... You know, I am pro-life, but my sexuality, and no one's at war against my sexuality, and in fact, my sexuality is um, celebrated. So I went to this new wave feminist thing, and I went to the about section, and it basically, oh my god, it made no fucking sense to me. It was also really vague and nonspecific, but it was like look, we don't want to make abortions illegal. We just want to make it so that people don't have to get them. What? Um, and it was trying to, like, I guess, create a space for women that identify as feminists to still be pro-life. But again, because pro-life doesn't make any sense. Like, the about section of their website didn't make any sense. 
The logic doesn't add up. And so I don't really, to me, it's kind of irrelevant what the intent is. Like what, I guess the only intent that people are pretty open about as it relates to anti-abortion is pro-life, right? But to me, it's like, regardless of what the intent is, we have to look at what's happening as a result. So, okay, so you're pro-life, so therefore you're preventing abortions. But what does preventing abortions do? Well, it adds to, it pro it helps to proliferate, um, like, climate the the destruction of our climate. Why? Because we need to prevent people from having children because we have a severe overpopulation issue, right? So even if your whole thing is pro-life, the fact is that life is working toward destroying our environment, right? Regardless of intent, when you prevent abortion, um, you are proliferating this, the patriarchy, this idea of men being in control of women's bodies, you know, regardless of intent by preventing abortion or making it even as inaccessible as it already is to people who aren't privileged, you are keeping people in poverty that if they had access to um, affordable forms of birth control and abortion, it could lift them out of poverty. But no. We're going to prevent abortion, which keeps people in poverty. So great. That works too. That it proliferates the same thing. Um, same with wealth inequality, right? When people don't have access to abortions, they have kids that they can't afford, which keeps them in poverty. To me, the intent is irrelevant. To me, this has everything to do with targeting one thing, which is non-reproductive forms of female sexuality, which in effect proliferates all of this garbage that we don't want proliferated. And I guess the one thing I'll say is like, it's cool to be angry about this and it's cool to focus on the abortion aspect of it, but let's break it down a little bit further. If women had total freedom and access to birth control, to abortion, if female sexuality and female promiscuity and if that stuff wasn't shamed and stigmatized in the way that it was, I, everything would break down. In my opinion. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because, again, I guess that's the theme of this episode is to, like, find the source of the problem. For me, this is about female sexuality. So what am I going to do as a privileged person? Well, I'm going to express my sexuality in a way that breaks down the shame. In a way that seeks to obliterate the fucking taboo. Men and uh, our culture, our society, we're afraid of that. Because do you know why men are afraid of that? Do you know why our society and culture are afraid of that? Because women are so powerful. Like, that's where the fear comes from. Nobody's fearful of something that's weak. Nobody's fearful of something that doesn't have power. Female sexuality and female power is so tremendous that we have constructed our entire culture and society to prevent it.
Just think about that for a second. That's why I have. That's why I take such issue with the Me Too movement in the way that it uh, places women, I think, in a role of victimization. You did this to me. Da 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 da. Like, let's back up a second. The reason we're being treated like this is because men are terrified of us. They're terrified of losing us. They're terrified of us being the ravenous, hungry, sexual creatures that we are. There's fear. And because they are physically powerful, because their role in society at this time is more valuable in the sense that um, uh, female spaces, like in the home, these things aren't valued anymore. So society is constructed in the way that masculine forms of power are celebrated and female forms of power are no longer very relevant. They don't hold the same value. So men get to hold on to that value that they have, which is overinflated because they are so fearful of being taken off that um, soapbox or that throne or whatever they are and being becoming more equalized again with women. You know, all of this stuff <laughs> is about how powerful women are. And I think we forget that. So in this sense, in regard to the Me Too movement, like I, I take such an issue with this whole finger pointing attitude. Because we, we as in women, I think a lot of my listeners are women, like we hold the power I know that everything in our world is constructed to take that power away from us, but we're only making it worse by falling into that trap. We have so much power. We have power in our voice. We have power in our bodies. We can make choices to live powerfully and to deconstruct these systems instead of continuing them. So think, just think about the way that you approach these issues. How are we using our anger? Is it constructive? You know, are you living a life where you are exuding power and value in your life? And if not, you don't, I don't think you have a right to point a finger. Especially if you have the capacity to and you're not doing it, right? Like, this all goes back to the fact that, like, some of us are privileged more than others. I know I do. I, I know I have complete ability. I have access to birth control. I have access to abortions. I have access to this platform where I can speak. I have all of this power. So I'm going to use that power constructively which is not to allow anyone to take that power away from me. So if you're in that position to go be your badass, sexual, baby-making or non-baby-making self and stop allowing men to take power away from you. I hope that made sense. These solo episodes should just be called I hope that made sense with Anya. Because <laughs> I'm just sitting here ranting. Anyway, that, that's all the topic. Those are all the topics for today. Um, sit in the car, still in Central Oregon, as I was 
for last week's episode. Although I probably will be elsewhere by the time this gets posted. Um, but I had some free time and I wanted to share all of these rants with you. <laughs> um, all right. So last song I am going to play you out with is called Divine by Sebastian, 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 however you want to say it, Tellier. Um, he has an album called Sexuality, which is really cool. I love that I said like none of these songs would be thematic and I think like all but one were. Oh, well. Um, yeah, uh, he has an album called Sexuality. It's super weird and unique. Uh, it's been a favorite of mine for a while. Um, so I'm going to share a song from it. If you like these episodes, if you want to help support the podcast, head over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Anya Cates. You can donate a few bucks a month. Help me th keep this thing going. In addition to just supporting the show, you'll get access to tons of perks, um, which you can check out at patreon.com slash Anya Cates. Thanks, as always, for being here. Much love to you all and talk to you in a week or so. Yeah.